in-depth, investigative. This is KXAN News Today. A big difference this morning across the Texas panhandle from raging wildfires, scorching land, now land covered in snow. Areas around Amarillo receiving one to four inches of snow. Yeah, extreme weather there. While the deadly wildfire in the Smokehouse Creek fire is what it's named, that's burned more than a million acres. That is making it the largest wildfire in Texas history. The Texas A&M Forest Service says it's only about 5% contained, but the snow that you're seeing there is helping with the containment efforts. You can see where the snow is now covering charred cars and vegetation. The Smokehouse Creek fire is now being blamed for the death of two people. The most recent family of Cindy Owens saying she died from her burn injuries. And earlier this week, the grandson of 83-year-old Joyce Blankenship said her body was found Wednesday in her burned home. Today we could get a better idea of just how many homes are destroyed by this fire. Governor Greg Abbott will provide a briefing on the response and the impact. Amarillo Congressman Ronnie Jackson saying the governor's declaration will be in effect until the community can get back on its feet. A lot of these people lost everything they have. They lost their homes, they lost their animals, they lost their vehicles. They don't have the resources to replace this. Uh, and they, some of them don't have the insurance to help as well. Now, the wind is a major concern when it comes to this, when it comes to fighting the fire, Kristen. Yeah, absolutely. Wind is what drives fire movement, mm -hmm. unfortunately, and it's likely that we're going to be looking at uh, more wind this weekend. Let me show you what's going on on radar here, because the rain and snow that did work with crews yesterday to help them battle these blazes up in the panhandle, that has since moved out. Drier air will fill in in its place. So although our wildfire threat here at home isn't too concerning, I mean, most of us are in that low to moderate category, which is typical for this time of year to see that we do have higher fire concerns out across the panhandle and portions of the South Plains that three out of five risk in the yellow color. So it'll be something we'll be keeping very close eyes on for our friends and family and fellow Texans up in the panhandle trying to pick up the PCs. And of course, this fire is not out yet. It's long from being out with how big it is. We will provide updates for you throughout the day and throughout the weekend. As far as what we've got a little closer to the Austin area, this is George. Georgetown, our Ewell Kubota weather camera showing mainly quiet skies. Temperatures today, despite the fact that it's cold this morning, are going to be beautiful later on this afternoon. Right now, we're pretty much at freezing, if not even below it, in most locations in the hill country. Along and east of I-35, we've got 40s, but it's going to be a fairly nice Friday, and your weekend looks fantastic. We'll talk more about it coming up. You bet, Kristen, thank you. The cause of this week's hotel fire in South Austin may never be known. Austin fire officials say the cause is undetermined because of complete destruction to that building. The estimated loss is at $3 million, more than 120 firefighters worked to put out that fire at the Casuela Hotel. Near Old Torf and I-35, there was one firefighter who was injured, but no word yet on that person's condition this morning, but we'll continue to check. There's also this, while the worst of the pandemic is in the rearview mirror behind us, the impact on students, especially those facing economic challenges and teachers still lingering. But there are some students and staff that are really beating the odds. Nabil Ramadna spoke with Austin ISD and how things are going now and how one school is winning awards for the work they're doing. Inside St. Elmo Elementary School. Principal Ben McCormack makes his rounds. Getting to know all 300 plus students is key to their success. We 
just use that relationship to figure out what we need to do to help every kid in their unique situation. This is important, as some still feel the impacts from the pandemic when many students fell behind while working from home. We're working now on not just building the capacity in our students and addressing the gaps that were created during the pandemic, and um, we're also um, building the capacity of some of our teachers. Title I schools were hit hard. Students and families that are experiencing poverty and they're experiencing it at a larger margin. Students in these schools face challenges like language barriers, generational poverty, lack of resources, but also teacher vacancies. There are a larger number of vacancies at our lowest performing schools. And even when we do fill those positions, you will notice there's a large number of novice teachers. More than 39,000 students in Austin ISD are enrolled in schools that participate in school-wide Title I. St. Elmo is one of those schools. We are 80% plus uh, economically disadvantaged here. But that hasn't stopped them from being successful. St. Elmo was recently named a Texas Gold Ribbon School. It is uh, kids in high poverty, high need situations that are still showing growth and, and having success in terms of growth. McCormick says despite the challenges his students face and even the struggles during the pandemic, his staff makes sure his students have all the tools they need to succeed. The last state rating that we had, we were rated an A school. Bill Ramadna, KXAN News. St. Elmo says that a big part of its success is due to the community partners. Groups like Foundation Communities help students with their academics, their after school, and offer some food pantries as well. St. Elmo also received a grant to build a butterfly garden. And Principal McCormick says the more resources, the better the outcomes for the students. Just to go in depth on this, in 2022, the latest data that we have, the district as a whole graduated about 93% of its students within four years. That's an increase of a percentage point from the peak of the pandemic in 2020. Taking a look at Title I high schools, all schools had a 92% or higher graduation rate. The exception was Eastside Early College High School, which had an 88% graduation rate. Northeast Early College High had more than 98%. You can take a closer look at the graduation rates under the story at KXAN.com. Coming up, why a prominent businessman in Austin is now facing arson charges. City leaders have a new goal to put Austin on the map for all things soccer. The steps they're taking and getting kids onto the field, even some more major events. Good morning, everyone. On this Friday, the first day of March, a live look outside from our camera over in Georgetown at Ewald Kubota. Krista has the latest when it comes to your weather, but first to your news, because a prominent Austin businessman now faces arson charges. We got a look at court documents obtained by KXAN investigators. They say Dorsey Brian Hardiman is accused of setting fire to the former site of Mellow Johnny's in downtown Austin. He's the founder of Continental Automotive Group, which has several different dealerships in Austin. Those documents say surveillance cameras appear to have caught this 75-year-old earlier this month, and they say you can see him spreading gasoline around the building and lighting matches. And according to the documents, Hardiman owns the building next door and previously did ask about buying his neighbor's building, according to documents. In addition to the arson arrest, he faces a charge of burglary of a building. Court documents also link him to another arson. A car crashed into a North Austin restaurant and left this, a big hole in the side of that building, Fovan off of 183 and Burnett Road. 
Based on the damage inside that building, you can see this car shattered a glass wall plowing through some of the tables there. A man we talked with says he was alarmed to see the aftermath. Uh, I've been to this establishment many of times and have sat uh, based on the wheels of the car directly in that line of sight as, as it kind of ends its path is where you check out after you finish eating and um, it's just scary to see. The owner of the restaurant told KXAN no one was hurt. We still don't know what caused the driver to crash though. The alternatives for people awaiting trial and how it's even saving money. Improvements beginning at a local county jail that was overcrowded and understaffed just a bit ago. We have the latest update on the Javier Ambler case here in Travis County. The witnesses that took the stand on this day of the trial where two Williamson County deputies are charged with manslaughter. A big weekend ahead for Texas baseball and Austin FC. We'll preview it later in sports. Keep it here. Good morning, this is a live look over North Austin. Q2 Stadium there has a break this weekend. And then the Verde and Belt Black are back. See the little tongue twister there. <laughs> uh, coming up on, I believe it's the ninth, their next home game. Okay, let's go down to Hayes County. And for years, the Hayes County Jail has been overcrowded and understaffed. So much so that inmates have had to be outsourced to other jails throughout the area. And that's costs money. The county leaders say things are getting better. Sam Stark talking to them about the programs they say are working. Just over 75% of inmates being held in Hayes County jails haven't had a trial or conviction yet. The number compared to statewide statistics is high. The LBJ School of Public Affairs estimated around 62% of the state's jail population is awaiting trial. But compared to 2022 when 83% of inmates in Hayes County were locked up with no conviction, it's getting better. We believe over time that we can really reduce the population pretrial in our jail with significant programs. Alex Villalobos says through the Hayes County Judicial Department, some who are accused of a crime can await their trial outside of the county jail as long as they abide by certain court-appointed rules. It's just, it's affected the overall number. We want to see a lot more. We want to see a lot more where we can. But overall, the, the effort of this department that we created is to process people that had just been recently incarcerated and create alternatives to keeping them in jail before their day in court. Hayes County Judge Ruben Bercera said he prioritized these services. As the most fundamental thing in our, I don't know, American way of life, it is innocent until proven guilty. San Marcos-based nonprofit Mono Amiga says this is a step in the right direction, but wants to see more funds pumped into public health rather than the criminal justice system. We really are calling on our county to fund robust services on the front end before someone has gone through the traumatic experience of an arrest and dealing with the criminal justice system. In Hayes County, Sam Stark, KXAN News. Thank you, Sam. And not only do these programs make the jails less crowded, but they also save the county millions of dollars. In December of 2022, Hayes County had to send nearly 300 inmates to other jails because of overcrowding at the time. And that cost the county nearly $25,000 per day. When we go, yeah, when we go in depth here, Travis County is also working to lower the amount of people in its jail. And they're doing something with a mental health diversion program. And that's going to start soon, we're told. Pilot program includes a 25-bed facility and a walk-in mental health clinic for both adults 
and for children. County leaders say about 40% of people in Travis County, the jail, have a mental health diagnosis. Huge population. If substance abuse disorders are included, that number increases to about 70%. Travis County Judge Andy Brown has said that he hopes the pilot program will be up and running in just the next few months. Turning back to the wildfires up in the panhandle, take a look at this satellite imagery taken between this past Monday when the fire started and Wednesday. It shows just the massive growth of these wildfires when some of them started to merge together. For some perspective on how the fire compares to Central Texas, the Smokehouse Creek fire covers more than a million acres. According to the National Interagency Fire Center, the wildfire is nearly seven times the size of the city of Austin and the wildfire threat Unfortunately, not over Texas A&M Forest Service saying strong winds will increase again this weekend and even the humidity is expected to come down, making it real tough for the crews up there. So the snow helped, but it's not going to help enough. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, it was a one day deal yesterday. Mm. We got a couple inches of snow in parts of the Amarillo area, but um, it'll melt quickly with sunshine today and really tomorrow mm. with wind gusts up to 40 miles per hour and humidity less than 10%. I mean, that's enough for those fires to continue growing. Yeah, so much. Yeah, hard to believe too, right? With a million acres. Let me show you what the air looks like now because the dew points again a good gauge of moisture for us. Lower the number, drier the air. And dew points in the 30s. That's pretty dry up there, and expected to get drier in the days to come. Right now we've got dew points here locally in the 40s. Rain is moving out. It will not come back today. In fact, there's going to be sunshine from top to bottom across Texas today. We are going to be looking at some low morning cloud cover here in Central Texas, clearing with in the next few hours, but that's why it looks a little gray, a little fuzzy on our Indeed domain camera. 45 degrees, temperatures chilly on your way out the door this morning. In fact, just downright cold in the hill country as we are flirting with freezing there in Mason and Fredericksburg, sub-freezing in Llano and San Saba. 40s is what you'll find across the Austin metro. You've got more of those 40s out in the eastern counties this morning. Temperatures a little cooler west of one of, of uh, I-35, I should say, as we get into the later part of the afternoon, though, this is going to change. I mean, there is no doubt you will notice the warming trend as we go from the 40s yesterday afternoon to the 70s today, at least 20 to 25 degrees warmer. I mean, we quickly turn the tables here and get back to the spring-like pattern for our first day of March. Like I said, skies are going to show you plenty of sunshine later this afternoon. Blue skies from Mason to Fayette County expected. And as far as the rain coverage goes, you've got Nothing to worry about with showers or storms for the weekend. In fact, temperatures get a little warmer. A mix of sun and clouds. It's not until Monday do we start talking the opportunity for rain again. Not everybody will see these rain chances, though. Monday and again into early Tuesday, we're going to be watching for a little disturbance and potentially the help with the with the Texas dry line setting up. That brings in a low opportunity for storms and showers to start the week. But then we'll probably continue that Wednesday into Thursday with another little disturbance on the way. So although these storms aren't necessarily big and, and getting a direct path through the state. We've got a little piece of energy here and there every couple of days and with a combination of that boundary out west, it gives us at least the, the chance of seeing some showers and storms drift our direction. Rainfall potential though looks low, half an inch or less between now and the middle of next week. So I don't want to get your hopes up. This seven day forecast shows four days of rain chances, but we're not expecting rain every day and we're not expecting this to be a washout. So 
And take what we can get. Again, March just started. Hopefully we can get back in that storm track here a little later on into the month. But 70s today turn to 80s tomorrow, Sunday, and Monday. We take those warm temperatures despite the fact that the rain chances will be here all the way through the end of next week. And I got to tell you, I'm not seeing a freeze. I'm not seeing a freeze this week. I'm not seeing a freeze next week. So there is a good chance that we could be done with freezes for the season. Turning now to the threat of potentially some strong storms within some of those shower chances early next week. But be sure to stay with us for updates as we fine tune that forecast getting closer. Sounds good. Thank you, Kristen. The Senate sent a short-term spending bill to the president's desk, and this will extend the deadline on a partial government shutdown. The vote came just hours after the House passed the bill last night, and a day before a portion of government funding was scheduled to expire. The stopgap measure buys lawmakers more time to fund all federal agencies through September. Their goal is to fund half of the government spending bills by March 8th and the other half by mid-March. If you've had to drive your children out of town for soccer games, <laughs> we talk about this like every weekend. All the time, yes. you know it. You will appreciate what's coming here. You will. This week, Austin City Council voted to move forward with the proposal to make Austin a better soccer city. What does that mean? KXN's Grace Reader explains. On a chilly Thursday, with school in session, the Onion Creek soccer field's only home to the occasional speedwalker, not a soccer ball in sight. But when school lets out and the clouds part to nicer Austin days, these fields become part of a turf war. There needs to be more places to play for, for youth, for adults of all different levels, and there's a huge shortage of that, particularly with compared to other uh, cities with MLS teams. It's why Austin City Council voted Thursday to kickstart the process of expanding soccer access in Austin. Councilmember Vanessa Fuentes brought the item forward, and in part, it asked the city to find ways to increase the number of fields available, expand youth programs, and attract new soccer events to the city. The founder of Soccer Assist, a nonprofit that's helped build many pitches around Austin, says he is excited the ball's rolling on this. Austin calls itself a live music city. There's plenty of places to go to, play, and listen for live music. We're calling ourselves now a soccer city. It has to be a similar parallel there. Of course, we've been calling ourselves a soccer city because of this team right here, Austin FC. The director of operations at Capital City Soccer Club says that team has given young athletes in Austin something to aspire to. Whether it's dance or soccer or whatever it is, you know, you want to be able to see people like you. And Austin FC have brought in tremendously diverse players. Next step, the city manager will bring solutions to city council. That'll happen later this year. The goal, more fields like these and more of you invited to play on them. Grace Reader, KXAN News. Okay, this will come back to Austin City Council in September. The city manager is asking to look at available land and what the needs are, plus some of the recommendations for it. And don't forget to tune in to our show, All Things Austin FC, this weekend on Verde Alliance. We have a recap of the Austin FC Minnesota United game, talking to players on the team, and much more. Catch Verde Lights right here on CW Austin this Saturday at 11 in the morning. This is KXAN Sports, brought to you by Thomas J. Henry. Good morning, Austin FC still hoping to get the first victory of the season. Tomorrow, the Verde and Black's regular season debut left a bit to be desired as they fell to Minnesota 2-1 with their only goal coming very late in the match. Capitalizing opportunities has been the theme this week as the club says if they want to beat Seattle on the road tomorrow night, they've got to have a much better start than last Saturday. 
know you're in front of your home fans and a, a half like that is un, unexcusable and um, inexcusable to, to our fans but especially to ourselves you know we've been working working so hard and to play play a first half the way we did was uh, was tough but uh, you know this week in training you can see um, I think everyone was bothered by it uh, the training has been good and now we're going to Seattle to grab a result. All right, baseball, Texas has certainly been seeing things clearly at the plate as of late, scoring 50 runs in their last five games over the span of a little over a week. Can't forget the pitching as well, only giving up seven runs in that span. That is exactly the mojo in which Longhorns hope carries over in the showcase in which they lead off with LSU, the defending national champs tonight. The Longhorns want to get wins, get better, and get respect. People look down on us because we're young and new. I think, you know, coming out coming out of this uh, series, you know, we can definitely, you know, turn some heads on, on our on our ability to, to compete um, in the SEC one. But, um, you know, that's just the main thing. I'm, I'm really excited just to see how the crew uh, responds to, you know, a different challenge, new environment, and three pretty good teams as well. So that'd be a good test for us. And the first pitch is set for 7 o'clock. That does it for sports. Let's go back over to you. Thank you, Jonathan. For those listening on the KXAN Today podcast, thanks for joining us. I wish you could see what we're showing you here. The Cowboy Breakfast gets underway this morning as we're just a week until the start of Rodeo Austin. We will have a live report and uh, some food sampling as well coming up.